0: Section 8 of Volume 1c of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Caputo. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1c, Section 8 chapter twenty six part three he died of a consumption at his favourite palace of richmond after a reign of twenty-three years and eight months and in the fifty-second year of his age the reign of harry the seventh was in the main fortunate for his people at home and honourable abroad he put an end to the civil wars with which the nation had long been harassed he maintained peace and order in the state He depressed the former exorbitant power of the nobility, and, together with the friendship of some foreign princes, he acquired the consideration and regard of all. He loved peace without fearing war, though agitated with continual suspicions of his servants and ministers. He discovered no timidity, either in the conduct of his affairs or in the day of battle, and though often severe in his punishments he was commonly less actuated by revenge than by maxims of policy the services which he rendered the people were derived from his views of private advantage rather than the motives of public spirit and where he deviated from interested regards it was unknown to himself and ever from the malignant prejudice of faction or the mean projects of avarice, not from the sallies of passion, or allurement of pleasure, still less from the benign motives of friendship and generosity. His capacity was excellent, but somewhat contracted by the narrowness of his heart. He possessed insinuation and address, but never employed these talents, except where some great point of interest was to be gained and while he neglected to conciliate the affections of his people he often felt the danger of resting his authority on their fear and reverence alone he was always extremely attentive to his affairs but possessed not the faculty of seeing far into futurity and was more expert at providing a remedy for his mistakes than judicious in avoiding them averis was on the whole His ruling passion, and he remains an instance, almost singular, of a man placed in a high station and possessed of talents for great affairs, in whom that passion predominated above ambition. Even among private persons, avarice is commonly nothing but a species of ambition, and is chiefly incited by the prospect of that regard, distinction, and consideration which attend on riches the power of the kings of england had always been somewhat irregular or discretionary but was scarcely even so absolute during any former reign at least after the establishment of the great charter as during that of henry besides the advantages derived from the personal character of the man full of vigour industry and severity deliberates in all projects steady in every purpose and attended with caution as well as good fortune in every enterprise he came to the throne after long and bloody civil wars which had destroyed all the great nobility who alone could resist the encroachments of his authority the people were tired with discord and intestine convulsions and willing to submit to usurpation and even to injuries rather than plunge themselves anew into like miseries the fruitless efforts made against him served always as is usual to confirm his authority as he ruled by a faction and the lesser faction all those on whom he conferred offices sensible that they owed everything to his protection were willing to support his power though at the expense of justice and national privileges this seemed the chief causes which at this time bestowed on the crown so considerable an addition of prerogative and rendered the present reign a kind of epoch in the english constitution this prince though he exalted his prerogative above law is celebrated by his historian for many good laws which he made be enacted for the government of his subjects several considerable regulations indeed are found among the statutes of this reign both with regard to the police of the kingdom and its commerce but the former are generally contrived with much better judgment than the latter the more simple ideas of order and equity are sufficient to guide a legislator in everything that regards the internal administration of justice but the principles of commerce are much more complicated and require long experience and deep reflection to be well understood in any state the real consequence of a law or practice is there often contrary to first appearances no wonder that during the reign of Henry the seventh these matters were frequently mistaken and it may be safely be affirmed that even in the age of lord bacon Very imperfect and erroneous ideas were formed on that subject. Early in Henry's reign, the authority of the Star Chamber, which was before founded on common law and ancient practice, was in some cases confirmed by Act of Parliament. Lord Bacon extols the utility of this court, but men began, even during the age of that historian, to feel that so arbitrary a jurisdiction was incompatible with liberty and in proportion as the spirit of independence still rose higher in the nation the aversion to it increased till it was entirely abolished by act of parliament in the reign of charles i a little before the commencement of the civil wars Laws were passed in this reign ordaining the king's suit for murder to be carried on within a year and a day. Formerly it did not usually commence till after, and as the friends of the person murdered often in the interval compounded matters with the criminal, the crime frequently passed unpunished. Suits were given to the poor in forma pauperis, as it is called, that is, without paying dues for the writs, or any fees to the council a good law at all times especially in that age when the people labored upon the oppression of the great but a law difficult to be carried into execution a law was made against carry off any woman by force the benefit of clergy was abridged and the criminal on the first offence was ordered to be burned in the hand with a letter denoting his crime after which he was punished capitally for any new offence sheriffs were no longer allowed to fine any person without previously summoning him before their court it is strange that such a practice should ever have prevailed a taint of juries was granted in cases which exceeded forty pounds value a law which has an appearance of equity, but which was afterwards found inconvenient. Actions popular were not allowed to be eluded by fraud of coven. If any servants of the king's conspired against the life of the steward, treasurer, or controller of the king's household, this design, though not followed by any overt act, was made liable to the punishment of felony this statute was enacted for the security of archbishop morton who found himself exposed to the enmity of great numbers there scarcely passed any session during this reign without some statute against engaging retainers and giving them badges of liveries a practice by which they were in a manner enlisted under some great lord and were kept in readiness to assist him in all wars insurrections riots violences and even in bearing evidence for him in courts of justice this disorder which had prevailed during many reigns when the law could give little protection to the subject was then deeply rooted in england and it required all the vigilance and rigour of henry to estipate it there is a story of his severity against this abuse and it seems to merit praise though it is commonly cited as an instance of his heaviness and rapacity the earl of oxford his favourite general in whom he always placed great and deserved confidence having splendidly entertained him at his castle of hanningham was desirous of making a parade of his magnificence at the departure of his royal guest and ordered all his retainers with their liveries and badges to be drawn up in two lines that their appearance may be the more gallant and splendid my lord said the king i have heard much of your hospitality but the truth far exceeds the report this handsome gentleman and yeomen." whom i see on both sides of me are no doubt your menial servants the earl smiled and confessed that his fortune was too narrow for such magnificence they are most of them subjoined so he my retainers who are come to do me service at this time when they know i am honoured with your majesty's presence the king started a little and said By my faith, my lord, I thank you for your good cheer, but I must not allow my laws to be broken in my sight. My attorney must speak with you. Oxford is said to have paid no less than fifteen thousand marks as a composition for his offense. The increase of the arts, more effectually than all the severities of law, put an end to this pernicious practice. The nobility... Instead of vying with each other in the number and boldness of their retainers, acquired by degrees a more civilized species of emulation, and endeavored to excel in the splendor and elegance of their equipage, houses and tables. The common people, no longer maintained in vicious idleness by their superiors, were obliged to learn some calling or industry, and became useful both to themselves and to others and it must be acknowledged in spite of those who declaim so violently against the refinements in the arts or what they are pleased to call luxury that as much as an industrious tradesman is both a better man and a better citizen than one of those idle retainers who formerly depended on the great families so much is the life of a modern nobleman more laudable than that of an ancient baron but the most important law in its consequences which was enacted during the reign of Henry, was that by which the nobility and gentry acquired a power of breaking the ancient entails and of alienating their estates by means of this law joined to the beginning luxury and refinements of the age the great fortunes of the barons were gradually dissipated and the property of the commons increased in england it is probable that Henry foresaw and intended this consequence, because the constant scheme of his policy consisted in depressing the great and exalting churchmen, lawyers, and men of new families, who were more dependent on him. This king's love of money naturally led him to encourage commerce, which increased his customs, but If we may judge by most of the laws enacted during his reign, trade and industry were rather hurt than promoted by the care and attention given to them. Severe laws were made against taking interest for money, which was then denominated usury. Even the profits of exchange were prohibited, a severing of usury, which the superstition of the age zealously proscribed all evasive contracts by which profits could be made from the loan of money were also carefully guarded against it is needless to observe how unreasonable and iniquitous these laws how impossible to be executed and how hurtful to trade if they could take place we may observe however to the praise of this king that sometimes in order to promote commerce he lent to merchants sums of money without interest, when he knew that their stock was not sufficient for those enterprises which they had in view. Laws were made against the exportation of money, plate or bullion, a precaution which serves to no other purpose than to make more be exported. But so far was the anxiety on this head carried that merchants alien who imported commodities into the kingdom were obliged to invest in english commodities all the money acquired by their sales in order to prevent their conveying it away in a clandestine manner it was prohibited to export horses as if that exportation did not encourage the breed and render them more plentiful in the kingdom in order to promote archery no bows were to be sold at a higher price than six shillings and four pence, reducing money to the denomination of our time the only effect of this regulation must be either that the people would be supplied with bad bows or none at all prices were also affixed to woolen cloth to caps and hats and the wages of laborers were regulated by law it is evident that these matters ought always to be left free and be entrusted to the common course of business and commerce to some it may appear surprising that the price of a yard of scarlet cloth should be limited to six-and-twenty shillings money of our age that of a yard of colored cloth to eighteen higher prices than these commodities bear at present and that the wages of a tradesman such as a mason bricklayer tiler, etc shall be regulated at near ten pence a day which is not much inferior to the present wages given in some parts of england labour and commodities have certainly risen since the discovery of the west indies but not so much in every particular as is generally imagined the greater industry of the present time has increased the number of tradesmen and labourers so as to keep wages nearer a par than could be expected from the great increase of gold and silver and the additional art employed in the finer manufactures has even made some of these commodities fall below their former value not to mention that merchants and dealers being contented with less profit than formerly afford the goods cheaper to their customers it appears by a statute of this reign that goods bought for six pence would sometimes be sold by the merchants for three shillings the commodities whose price has chiefly risen are butcher's meat fowl and fish especially the latter which cannot be much augmented in quantity by the increase of art and industry the profession which then abounded most and was sometimes embraced by persons of the lowest rank was the church by a clause of a statute all clerks or students of the university were forbidden to beg without a permission from the vice-chancellor one great cause of the low state of industry during this period was the restraints put upon it and the parliament or rather the king for he was the prime mover in everything enlarged a little sum of this limitation but not to the degree that was requisite a law had been enacted during the reign of Mary the fourth that no man could bind his son or daughter to an apprenticeship unless he were possessed of twenty shillings a year in land and harry the seventh because the decay of manufacture was complained of in norwich from the want of hands exempted that city from the penalties of the law afterwards the whole county of norfolk obtained a like exemption with regard to some branches of the woollen manufacture this absurd limitation proceeded from a desire of promoting husbandry which however is never more effectually encouraged than by the increase of manufactures for a like reason the law enacted against enclosures and for the keeping up of farm-houses scarcely deserves the high praises bestowed on it by lord bacon if husbandmen understand agriculture and have a ready vent for their commodities We need not dread a diminution of the people employed in the country. All methods of supporting populousness, except by the interest of the proprietors, are violent and ineffectual. During a century and a half after this period, there was a frequent renewal of laws and edicts against the population, whence we may infer that none of them were ever executed the natural course of improvement at last provided a remedy one check to industry in england was the erecting of corporations an abuse which is not yet entirely corrected a law was enacted that corporations should not pass any by-laws without the consent of three of the chief officers of state they were prohibited from imposing tolls at their gates The cities of Gloucester and Worcester had even imposed tolls on the Severn, which were abolished. There is a law of this reign, containing a preamble, by which it appears that the company of merchant adventurers in London had, by their own authority, debarred all the other merchants of the kingdom from trading to the great marts in the Low Countries unless each trader previously paid them the sum of near seventy pounds it is surprising that such a by-law if it deserved the name could ever be carried into execution and that the authority of parliament should be requisite to abrogate it it was during this reign on the second of august fourteen ninety-two, a little before sunset that christopher columbus a genoese set out from spain on his memorable voyage from the discovery of the western world and a few years after vasquez de gama a portuguese passed the cape of good hope and opened a new passage to the east indies these great events were attended with important consequences to all the nations of europe even to such as were not immediately concerned in those naval enterprises the enlargement of commerce and navigation increased industry and the arts everywhere. The nobles dissipated their fortunes in expensive pleasures. Men of an inferior rank both acquired a share in the landed property and created to themselves a considerable property of a new kind in stock, commodities, art, credit and correspondence. In some nations the privileges of the commons increased by this increase of property in most nations the kings finding arms to be dropped by the barons who could no longer endure their former rude manner of life established standing armies and subdued the liberties of their kingdoms but in all places the condition of the people from the depression of the petty tyrants by whom they had formerly been oppressed rather than governed received great improvement and they acquired if not entire liberty at least the most considerable advantages of it and as the general course of events thus tended to depress the nobles and exalt the people harry the seventh who also embraced that system of policy has acquired more praise than his institutions strictly speaking seem of themselves to deserve on account of any profound wisdom attending them it was by accident only that the king had not a considerable share in those great naval discoveries by which the present age was so much distinguished columbus after meeting with many repulses from the courts of portugal and spain sent his brother bartholomew to london in order to explain his projects to harry and crave his protection for the execution of them the king invited him over to england but his brother being taken by pirates was detained in his voyage and columbus meanwhile having obtained the countenance of isabella was supplied with a small fleet and happily executed its enterprise harry was not discouraged by this disappointment he fitted out sebastian Cabot, a venetian settled in bristol and sent him westwards in fourteen ninety eight in search of new countries cabot discovered the mainland of america Towards the sixtieth degree of northern latitude, he sailed southwards along the coast and discovered Newfoundland and other countries, but returned to England without making any conquest or settlement. Elliot and other merchants in Bristol made a like attempt in fifteen o two. The king expended fourteen thousand pounds in building one ship called the Great Harry she was properly speaking the first ship in the english navy before this period when the prince wanted a fleet he had no other expedient than hiring or pressing ships from the merchants but though this improvement of navigation and the discovery of both the indies was the most memorable incident that happened during this or any other period it was not the only great event by which the age was distinguished in fourteen fifty-three, constantinople was taken by the turks and the greeks among whom some remains of learning were still preserved been scattered by these barbarians took shelter in italy and imported together with their admirable language a tincture of their science, and of their refined taste in poetry and eloquence. About the same time, the purity of the Latin tongue was revived, the study of antiquity became fashionable, and the esteem for literature gradually propagated itself throughout every nation in Europe. The art of printing, invented about that time, extremely facilitated the progress of all these improvements. The invention of gunpowder, Changed the whole heart of war mighty innovations were soon after made in religion such as not only affected those states that embraced them but even those that adhered to the ancient faith and worship and thus a general revolution was made in human affairs throughout this part of the world and men gradually attained that situation with regard to commerce arts science government police and cultivation in which they have ever since persevered here therefore commences the useful as well as the more agreeable part of modern annals. certainty has place in all the considerable and even most of the minute parts of historical narration a great variety of events preserved by printing give the author the power of selecting as well as adorning the facts which he relates and as each incident as a reference to our present manners and situation instructive lessons occur every moment during the course of the narration whoever carries his anxious researches into preceding periods is moved by a curiosity liberal indeed and commendable not by any necessity for acquiring knowledge of public affairs or the arts of civil government End of section 8, chapter 26, part 3. Recording by Lisa Caputo, Palermo.